0: Audiobooks.com, an association with PJValentine.net, and WritersExchange.com presents Weaver's Web, written and read by Philippa Valentine. Despite their success, they made a sombre group. Lou ushered them upstairs into the moonlit gardens that he loved so much. It seemed the best place to recover, apart from the main bustle of Skellig and an area that had not been touched by Guerin's work. Lou had gathered the inmates of the cell in the healing chamber, and even after tending them as best he could, he had been forced to admit defeat. The vast array of mutations they had been subjected to was far beyond a godling's normal power. They would have to call for a mother's assistance. The friends sat around the fringes of a calm pool, saying nothing, each wrapped in their own thoughts. Those that would have spoken kept their peace. Casting a look out of the corner of one eye, Jerris wondered what Ashime was thinking. Lou approached, his robe swishing in the damp grass, his eyes dark and unreadable. He was leading the young Sitken from the cell as he tried to unsuccessfully avoid leaning on the godling. Jira slipped into its middle shape and grasped Ashime's hand in its own. Lou looked around the group and seemed to grow in their eyes. The Divine hung about him, and he let them see it. This is the time when you will be judged. His voice was low and deep, sending shivers even through Rozo's form. "'It is you that will decide the fall of the cards. "'How you go from this garden is up to you. "'Will it be on your knees?' "'Ashimae's fingers tightened on Jerus, "'and it willed her strength. "'Her head came up, "'and she let them all see the tears running down her face. Chrisfell has never gone anywhere like that, "'and I say that Giran should not be allowed to take it where he wants. "'We must know what has happened here, "'and we must stop him, whatever it takes.' "'She got up slowly, finding her feet in the dark.' Now, if you don't mind, I would like to be alone for a bit. We're here if you need us, Ash. Guston caught her fingers as she moved away. Scarlet wolves, remember? A sliver of a smile appeared, like a whisper, and then she glided off. Away from them she moved, through the dark garden, barely seeing, barely feeling. Lushly scented flowers brushed their heads against hers, and a soft rain began to fall on her hair. Such was a night for sweet contemplation, but hers was not sweet. All of her humiliation and stupidity was there in the open for everyone to see. Gerin's deceit and villainy stretched before her, a vast, unseen land. How could she have been so foolish, so blind? It seemed there had been things going on around her all the time, and she hadn't noticed, too wrapped up in her own little world. He had tried to have her killed. She guessed at the truth now. Feeling blindly with her hands, may sat on a wet rock and stared up at the night sky. Unthinkingly, she was twisting his golden ring on her finger, round and round, remembering back to their last night together. His arms had been warm and secure about her. Memory didn't reveal anything different. As always, she hadn't wanted to be gone from him, but he'd asked her for a special favour. This is important, Ashie. His dear blue eyes melted her. I can only trust you with this message. As she may have felt under her armour, to where the crumpled, battered letter nestled next to her heart. Pulling it out, she ran her hand lightly over the thick wax seal of Crisfell Then she did something she would have never thought of before. Breaking the seal with weak fingers, she unfolded the paper and read the lines there. I'm sorry, was barely legible, washed by the waters that had nearly cost her her life. "'I'm sorry?' she whispered to herself. "'You're sorry, are you, Garen, for taking all that was dear to me, for trying to kill me?' A cold, twisted knot formed inside her. She could actually feel it like a bitter growth. "'How dare he!' Rage boiled up inside her, rage that she had always tried to control, having seen its effects. But even rage was better than this empty, ripped feeling. "'I'll make you sorry!' Ashime cried, and then let it loose. Back in the main garden, the others were quietly talking, discussing what they had seen that night and how Skellic had changed since they last lived here. Gerus stood apart, looking in the direction Ashime had gone. A sudden boom sounded, like lightning hitting the earth, and the whole garden was lit up as hot white light could be seen through the trees. It illuminated faces briefly as all eyes turned towards the source. It faded quickly, though, and they were all left blinking and confused. Gerus started and made to run in that direction. Guston stopped. Don't, was all he said. But as you may. Before it could do anything, it found the other three blocking its path as well. Take our word, Gerus. Cronus ushered it back to the pool. She's fine, but she wouldn't want to go down there. Let her have her peace, Merrick agreed, if she can. What's going on? Jerris felt eddies of some vast unknown past around it. Roso seemed elsewhere, his fingers working on his sword hilt. Let her tell you in her own time, Jerris. It's enough to know we all have our own secrets. Connor had barely tumbled into an exhausted heap in the bed they led him to before he was awakened by a light touch on his arm. In Geren's dungeon, that had always meant trouble. He started up, afraid that once more he'd be cast back there. Ashimay's face was hidden in shadow, only dimly touched by the torch she carried. Her hair was loose about her shoulders, and she'd abandoned her armor for a dark jerkin and trousers. Connor squinted against the light, but had sense enough to remain silent. Floating quietly to the door, she gestured for him to follow. Weary as he was, Connor's heart pounded. Slipping on a light robe, he found himself trailing after her in the cold, still corridors of Skellig. They passed guards like ghosts, until they came to another portal. Ashime had to roughly apply her shoulder to it to gain entry. Within there were dusty banners and stacked chairs that hadn't seen company for many years. It had the look of an abandoned captain's guard ring. Ashime was wandering through the mess, her hands running through the scattered goblets and papers. Curious, Connor lifted one of the banners. The fabric was faded and hard to see in the half-light, but even he could recognize the rampant red beast, which was the sign of the scarlet wolves. Ashime righted two chairs and waved him into one of them. She seemed reluctant to take a seat herself, though, pacing about, twisting a thick gold ring on her finger. Connor cleared his throat. If you're going to finish the duke's work here, I would appreciate more notice. What? she replied, distractively turning to him. No, no, of course not. I need to ask you some questions. There are things I must do tomorrow, and therefore other things I must know. Whatever help I can give is yours, lady. With a hint of a smile at his formality, she sat opposite him. First, I need to know how you came here. No need to fear an invasion from my home. I came in secret. Even my father doesn't know where I am. No one is allowed to show interest in anywhere but St. Ken. I bribed a brave, half-mad fisherman to get here. Tell me about the weavers. What your people know? Our history certainly doesn't contain anything of them. He shrugged. Our sterles, very little more, I'm afraid. They are masters of all flesh. Creatures who can turn anything with a spark of life into into their knees... They also are rumoured to be able to harness the insanity of Makers, and all legends say that they come from the south, from here. As she may rocked her chair, so that it rested on back legs, her expression hard to fathom. Whatever legends you have, more to go on than what Chris can offer. It's odd how that is. He waited as she thought, unsure what more he could offer, but wanting to help. Still, his understanding of womankind was limited by his upbringing, and his brain was finding it hard to function with so little rest. She came to herself suddenly. These were grand rooms once, and all I wanted in life was in them. I can still see old Travis, my first captain here, though he's dead three winters. And now it's all that remains of my old life. Connor opened his mouth to speak. What? He wasn't sure. But Ashime rose and dusted her clothes off. Thank you, Connor Nesfail. Whatever has happened between our two nations, you have mended that tonight. Now go and rest. I would like you to be in the dawn room tomorrow. Can you find your way back to your bed? He nodded. She made no move to follow him to the door, but he paused there and glanced back. Once more in the chair, her face was shuttered and her arms wrapped about her. How very alone she looked at that moment. What will... What will you do, lady? He had to ask. Ashime's face was almost blank. Why... "'Whatever I have to, Connor, I will do anything to save my land, as any other would.' He could hardly miss the dread tones in her voice. The next day dawned bright and warm. By now the whole of Skellig had heard what had gone on the previous night— Guards, servants and clansmen of all kinds gossiped in the shade of the bailey or in secluded corners of the castle where they thought none would overhear. Ashimay's friends woke late, having been shown to an interconnecting suite in the inner ward in the early dark hours of the morning. They woke with some trepidation. Lou had abandoned his solitary cell and along with the Sitka Prince shared their rooms. Connor was still weak and tired, but trying to hide it beneath a heavy silence. Somber's servants had waked all of them just before lunchtime. Baths and clean clothes had been provided, and even Rosso had had to sacrifice his armour. All but Connor was supplied with scarlet, a gesture that also did not go unnoticed. Combed, dressed, and more than a little apprehensive, they were ushered into the dawn room by silent guards. The heavy panelled doors swung open noiselessly, and the little group stepped into the heart of Crisfell. Ashimay had gathered all of the clansmen, warriors and merchants currently at Skellig here, as well as representatives of the town. Shopkeepers and beggars rubbed shoulders with the highest chiefs in the land. Some were bleary-eyed and all seemingly unsure of why they were there. Trying to keep calm, the group strode down the thick carpeted hall towards the figure, waiting for them at the far end. Ashumay had always commanded the second-to-last top step, but now she had placed herself squarely in the middle of it, just before the regal chair that Guerin had occupied. The meaning was clear to all. Ashumay was not an armor. Most of them had seldom seen her so. even holding court with the duke she'd always steadfastly retained it. Today she stood in a tall-collared green velvet dress. The neckline was fashionable, but not daring. Her beautiful copper hair, freed of war braids, was flowing freely down her shoulders and curled slightly under her breasts. About her head it was held back by a simple gold band. Every inch of her was calm and regal. Her face, though, told another story. To those that knew her, she was tense and pale. Green eyes were glassy with the lack of sleep and stress. She greeted them with a small nod and the flicker of a smile. A tiny gesture to her right told them where to stand. She cleared her throat and directed her gaze to the rear of the room. Clan's people of Crisfell, I have gathered all of you here today to decide the fate of your island. Here in the dawn room, all shall be revealed." All of you know me, and hopefully most of you trust me. I have been talking all night with those who know pieces of the truth, and I think I have a grasp of events here. But for Crisfell to survive the coming storm, we must know all about it. I ask you to listen, then go back to your clans and tell what it is you will hear here today. She paused and laid her hand on her perfectly flat stomach. I carry the Duke's child within me and in his name I will do all I can to secure Crisfel for him, for surely his father is dead. Her friends stayed rigid and quiet, but marvelled at her acting ability. Ashime gave a little nod to the group of guards standing to the left of the dais. Turning, they opened a door, and people began to file into the dawn room. Her friends immediately recognised them. The prisoners they had freed the night before glanced nervously about them as they entered. They had been clothed, and many sported bandages over their wounds that their deformities had not been concealed. In fact, they seemed to have been deliberately exposed. Guston nudged Crinus and whispered sharply under his breath, What's she playing at? The younger man shrugged. I don't know. Let's just keep close to her. Ashimei waited until all of the former prisoners were lined up in front of the flight of steps. A stir fanned through the assembly as they gradually realised what they were seeing. Some had faces that bore little that was still human, while others' limbs bent at alien, odd angles, or were transformed into boneless tentacles. The reactions they provoked they bore stoically, with barely a flinch between them. Waiting before the throne, Ashime held her breath. A disturbance erupted at the edge of the crowd. Let me through! Let me through! came a familiar, gruff voice. Damon cleared the press of people with no small amount of pushing. The usually immaculate chief's lafe was not fully tied, and his badge of clan slightly askew. With his usual glare, he sized up those there on display. What in the sweet mother's name are you doing, girl? This sort of freak show isn't proper for the dawn room of Criswell. You bring dishonour on it by dragging these poor unfortunates in here. On the contrary, as she may move down the steps until she was at eye level with the chief of the Lystra. Up until weeks ago, these people were as normal as you or I. Much as I regret having to do this, I know that there would be those who would not be satisfied until they saw with their own eyes... "'What do you mean, girl?' "'These people were subjected to manipulation by a creature "'that until very recently lived right here in Skellig. "'It changed and altered them into the forms which you can all see today.' "'She watched their reaction and was surprised. "'Silence. No questioning. No arguments. "'As if they'd known from the beginning, "'as if some hidden part of the clansmen told them it was indeed true. "'Certainly there'd been stories of strange things happening within the castle.' They waited for her to go on. I don't know what exactly it was, but I do know its name. It was a weaver. Now they shifted, turning to each other. Finely-dressed ladies, rugged clansmen, merchants and fishermen all shared something profound. It was something they had yet to put a finger on, but they were all aware of it. One scar-faced clansman in the lafe of the Kinneath clan stepped forward. "'The name is familiar to me, my lady,' In my clan's story, it's used around the winter fire as a name to chill the heart, but it is only legend. Legend indeed! And now we can all see what legend can do! A strong voice came from the rear of the dawn room. People stepped aside with small bows as Solistra strode down the length of the hall. Three green-robed mothers, all with the grimmest of expressions, followed. Solistra's gaze was fixed firmly on Ashime, who felt the weight. The mother spared a smile for Lou standing at the steps, but gave Ashimei a small bow. Her blue eyes locked with the other's green. I congratulate you on your condition, lady. No doubting she knew the real truth. Ashimei could only guess what the lie cost. And I congratulate you on your discovery of the truth, the truth that eluded Guerin." It was the discovery of these people in the dungeon that helped me. Perhaps, but not everyone would have done anything about it. Solistra turned with a swirl of her thick cloak so she was facing the assembly. I and my companions are here to offer our support to Crisfell. Lou summoned us after he had concerns about certain events. It is wrong to speak ill of the dead, but I have always feared that the Duke's preoccupation with the Makers meant something more. Grumbles emanated from the crowd, mainly from the corner where Guerin's courtiers were huddled. Solistra seemed not to notice, until one stepped forward boldly and stood almost toe-to-toe with her. No sign of diffidence in his manner. His gaze slid almost appraisingly up the mother's form. Honoured mother! His voice was borderline draw, containing no respect. We know the mothers have always been afraid of the makers, but our duke is our leader in this life. He was simply preparing us for war with the Sitkin. And besides, you speak as if he's beyond the veil! Another emboldened by his fellow spoke up. The duke is simply away checking on some of the less fortunate clans around the coast. When he returns you will be ecstatic to see the rumours of his messenger's death were wrong. But perhaps, Lady Ashime... Here, he stared pointedly at her position on the dais. You should await his commands. Ashime turned to solystra hoping she could provide the answers. The other maintained the solid illusion of calm. You know, Geran set out in the fire, Queen, and there was a storm last night. Unfortunately, this is what summoned my sisters and I to Skellig. We saw the Duke's death in our dreams, as we saw the end of his father before him. Much as we all admired our Duke Geron, I know he was always impulsive. None should ever venture on the sea in winter without being prepared. Her sisters behind her went red as Silistra spoke another lie, but luckily their faces were turned from the crowd. As she may, sagged a little. To those assembled she hoped it appeared like grief, but to her it was of a different kind. Hers was tinged with anger. Among the people, there were sceptical faces, but others seemed thoughtful. Geron had not gone to many pains to make friends. He'd never needed to. Ashime, on the other hand, was in dire need of them. The presence of the mothers and Lou, though, gave her credence. Mothers never lied, and never spoke out of turn. Their holiness placed them above suspicion to all except the most hardened hearts. Lou stepped forward, taking a place at Ashime's elbow. You all know me, he scanned the crowd, catching eyes, working his special magic. For a long time, the godlings and the mothers have known that this island has been in great danger, but from what we never knew. These atrocities you see before you, he gestured to the quiescent ex-prisoners, are just the beginning. Unless we work in defence of Crisfel, we must follow Ashime's lead and not hide from the implications. Godlings and mothers do not rule! This has never been done before! A voice called from the rear of the dawn room, distance making it anonymous. That is true! Lou acknowledged. And we are calling a divine moot to discuss this, to find our place in the coming struggle. Ashime had been carefully watching Damon. He was talking animatedly with the other chiefs that she recognised. At mention of the divine moot, he spun around, his face told he was working himself into a rage, and he'd finally snapped. This is wrong! He thundered and pointed straight at Ashime. You have no right to stand above us. The clans will never take this. Never! Hot blood was in his face, and as she may knew that this was the moment, it could all come tumbling down about her. You were right. She kept her voice intentionally soft, playing her feminine card. And that is why I am calling for a clan moot as well. That almost caused a riot. Clan chiefs shouted at her all at once, shaking their fists and almost throwing themselves over each other to be heard. Lorcan, young and handsome chief of the Marakai, shouted the loudest, A clan moot at this time of year? This has madness! You cannot surely expect all the clans to assemble at Skelligan winter. Here it may be mild, but in the Lystra mountains they are snowbound. How can you expect them to assemble within the castle walls? As she may let them rant, let the dawn room echo with their protests. It was a very long way off. She nursed her tender, angry thoughts for a few moments. Then she raised her hand, and when that didn't work, she simply bellowed. Chiefs! Chiefs! As mother of the next duke I rule until his birth, the moot will happen within the month. Now I have other business to organise. This will be done. Details you may discuss with my steward. Turning abruptly and giving them little time to argue, she swept from the room. She gave her friends a sharp nod in the direction of the door they followed after. So Lystra joined them. The other mothers ushered the afflicted prisoners from the dawn room. Ashimay led them to the Duke's antechamber. The long, elaborately carved table at which usually sat the leading chiefs and advisers was ready for them. Ashime took the seat at the head of the table, directly in front of the large window looking out over the bay. After a moment, her friends took their places. Connor and Jerris hung back, until she gestured them into the seats closest to her. Sweet mother! Rosa could barely contain himself, leaning on his hands. He glared down the length of the table. Ash, what do you think you're doing? They'll tear you to pieces when they find out you're lying to them. We won't be able to save you from this. As she may spared a glance at Lu and Solistra, seated closest to the door. They nodded reassuringly, their divine senses detecting no eavesdroppers. Her face flushed crimson as an emotional battle played across it. "'Don't think to lecture me, Roseau! I know that. I'm not a simpleton. But right now, my little charade is all that is holding Crispell together.' "'So where is Garen? Cronus leaned back in his chair, rubbing his forehead wearily. "'We need some answers.' Two nights ago, it appears that he took his boat out, and hasn't been seen since. Unfortunately, Lou informs me that he is still alive, somewhere in the outer islands. Well, Gustin said, he seems to have been busy while you were dead, Ash. An uncomfortable silence reigned. This was perilously close to her, I told you so. As paled against the dark green of her dress, she seemed fragile, hanging on to her composure by her fingernails. Through gritted teeth, she replied, Indeed. We know very little of the weavers, but what we do know bodes ill. Geron was stirring up certain of the clans to war against the Sitken. The godling glanced across at Solistra. We were concerned, and knew that he was up to something. We can still only guess at the ultimate plan, but it seems that the boats he was getting for the Marakai to build were not for the purpose the clans thought. Something for the weavers, though what use they could have on them, I shudder to think. Eshimere leaned forward, fixing Jairus and Connor to their seats with his stare. You two know the most about the weavers. You tell them. The rest of the room grew silent. Even Roso stopped muttering. Connor coughed, finding his voice rusty. The last few weeks seemed too vivid and painful to speak easily about. In my land, the weavers are dark tales, that is. We have stories of them coming very close to taking over Sitkan. They were, rather they are, manipulators of all flesh. Animal or human, it does not matter. They can twist and change it at their will. But it was only a myth to scare children with. No sane adult ever believed it. Your godlings believed enough to send you. I don't know their reasoning. They don't say. Perhaps they realized there was some danger of my capture. Jerus stopped him effectively by shifting into male form. I must be the real expert here. Jerus? Guston glanced around at the others. What are you talking about? I am one. A female form smiled back, showing all of her blindingly white teeth. What that creature was attempting to do in the dungeon was regain control. Before, I could never remember where I came from. I just remember waking up on one of Skellig's beaches, naked, alone, and frightened. I was apparently in some sort of pod or coracle, but I have no memory of that. But when Giselle tried to join with me, I got a flash, a glimpse. I realized what I was, unfortunately. I was sent here seven years ago to infiltrate Criswell, But sadly, that's all I remember. That stopped them in their tracks. What do you mean? As she may close her eyes, finding it hard to think ill of the person who had tended her with such gentleness for so many weeks. Crumpling into its middle form, Jeris slumped back in the chair. I don't know. The joining was incomplete. I guess that I have learned too much independence here. "'I was fighting for my individuality, and I, so I never really got inside the weaver mind.' "'We can be thankful of that,' Roseau muttered to Guston. "'What I can tell you is that they are coming here, from out of the deep. "'If you can find it in yourselves to believe me, it is.' "'I'll vouch for Jaris,' Connor surprisingly spoke up. "'In all the weeks I was in that dungeon, I never saw anyone fight as hard or suffer as much.' Merrick coughed down at the far end of the table.' "'I do have one question that no one's thought of. "'Why were all those prisoners from the outer islands?' "'They spoke of something called the blood,' Connor offered. "'Because I didn't have it, they found it harder to shift my body as they wanted. "'But I don't know what connection that has with the islands.' "'Garen has gone there!' "'Lou's expression was distant, divine, murmuring, obviously, in Zia. "'So, Ashimay's expression was hard.' "'Something is definitely going on in the Outer Islands. "'I spoke to one of the lowland chiefs. "'He was worried that they had not heard from the lord of the deep for some months. "'He's his own man, but not one to miss a summons by his duke.' "'Her oldest friends exchanged a glance, "'knowing what the old man meant to her, but remained silent. "'He was her grandfather, "'and one of the few kin she'd left on this side of the vale. "'Rising from the table, she turned away, looking out the window.' For a long moment, she watched the waves beat heedlessly against the cliffs below, engulfed by her own thoughts. "'I came to a decision last night. "'Someone has to decide the path for Crisfell. "'Someone has to pull something out of all this mess. "'I feel responsible because, in truth, it was me that turned a blind eye to Geron. "'I was so ignorant and just plain stupid. "'When she faced them again, she was drawn up straight, her face a mask of determination.' Here is what I've decided. No argument, no discussion. You are my friends, but right now I need people that will obey me. So I'm not asking you to do these things as your friend, but as the leader I must be for Fell. Lou will travel to Divine Home for their moot. We will need mothers and godlings in this defense. Rozo, Crinus, Gustin and Merrick, I want the Scarlet Wolves reformed, and you are the ones to do it. Go into Crisfell and find them. Bring them back together and within a month have them assembled here. Solistra will go with you to the Lystra Mountains. Her mother's skills will let you get through the pass, snowbound as it is. Connor and Jerris, you have a mission of importance too. You will accompany me to the outer islands. I must find Gerin and find out the true measure of our enemy. You two know the most and I will be led by you in this matter. They looked at Ashimai, almost as if they didn't know her. "'Maybe they don't anymore,' she whispered to herself. "'Her oldest friends held onto the arms of their chairs "'as if to stop themselves from rising. "'Roso swallowed the heat in his heart, "'while the others mourned for the pain they saw written in every angle of her. "'The godling and the mother prayed to the divine in them "'that she had the strength to get through this. "'Jeris marvelled at her and was grateful for her trust. "'As for Connor, he took a full measure of this woman. "'Was she all grim determination?' Could she really understand that which stood against her? Was her strength just a façade, ready to crumble at the first hint of danger? But they all nodded. We won't let you down. Merrick strode over and grasped her hand, careful not to break through her reserve. The Scarlet Wolves will rise, and Crisfell will prevail. The brittle look she gave him told him that she wasn't so sure. I hope you've enjoyed this chapter of Weaver's Web. If you want to get your hands on an E or print edition of this novel, you can do so through my website, which is pjvallantine.net. On this podcast, you've heard Ghost Song by Hands Upon Black Earth, which is available through magnatune.com. All other music in this podcast supplied by T. Morris. Find out more about T at tmorris.com. Thanks for listening.